0: Good morning everyone. Uh, It's great to see you as we continue to worship. um, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19. And uh, as we look at uh, God's word together this morning in worship, uh, it is my hope and prayer that we would be encouraged, challenged. Convicted and that God by his grace through his Holy Spirit and his word would shape us and change us to be more like Jesus. Uh, so let me pray and we will uh, dive into God's word together this morning. Father God, you are indeed a good and holy God. Uh, you are strong and mighty, worthy to be praised. God, you are gracious and loving. And God, we thank you that by your grace we are healed. We are changed. We are rescued. We are shaped. We are transformed to be a people for your own possession and lord i pray that now you would speak to us through your word by your spirit in our hearts and minds god that you would open deaf ears to hear open blind eyes to see open dead hearts to beat with life uh, renewed by the gospel so god i pray that you would do these things for your glory and our joy and that the good news of jesus would spread from this place through our lives to the nations we ask in christ's holy name amen uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, when the, Lord your God, when the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God has given you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess." You shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession so that any manslayer can flee to them. This is the provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies... He may flee to one of those cities and live, lest the avenger of blood and hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. Let's stop there for a minute. This is God's word for us. Friends, God is our refuge. God is a refuge for His people. He extends grace, forgiveness, forgiveness, provision, and protection for the most undeserving. And that's good news for all of us. When I was a kid, we used to build forts. And now that I have children, we build forts again. It's really fun. You should consider building a fort this afternoon. Anybody build a fort as a kid? just me. Well, me and the one other guy on planet Earth that used to build forts as a kid would build awesome forts in our backyard as children. We would play army. We would play uh, explore. We do these great things. And one time we built the most epic fort I've ever seen. Nobody has topped it since. My friend's father worked for a company and he would get these really big boxes from appliances and he would bring them home. And we built the coolest fort out of cardboard boxes. This thing was huge. We camouflaged it by Uh, duct taping pine straw and stuff to it. So it was like this awesome camouflage fort. And from the top of the hill in our neighborhood, you couldn't even see the fort. But when you get down closer, you see that we had built, we had constructed this really cool thing out of cardboard. We thought it was the awesomest thing ever. And we played with it constantly for like four days straight. Well, then one day we were playing and a storm came. And the storm rained, it rained really hard. I mean, like the big fat globs of rain. But it was summertime, and we thought, hey, it's cool, let's just go to our fort. The fort was made of cardboard, and it didn't take much time at all for that to be waterlogged and heavy from the rain on the top collecting over the pine straw and getting soggy, and the whole cardboard fort just imploded and became a nasty mess on the ground. You see, that fort we had constructed was a very poorly designed refuge. The the quality of work was not that great. The quality of the materials was not that great. I mean, it was creatively done. It looked really cool, but it only lasted a couple of days. In fact, it did not protect us from the rain whatsoever. I would even dare say it made things worse for us as we sat there and then the roof caved in and there was a deluge of water upon us. And it was funny and awesome and we had a good laugh about it. But I was thinking about that story this week because I was thinking about that particular friend and I was looking at this passage thinking about what is God's telling his people to do in Deuteronomy 19 and what does this have to do with us today? And I think I want us to see that in our lives we tend to build, we tend to construct and run to phony sources of refuge that in the end betray us and collapse and do no good whatsoever. But we find great comfort in them for a season, thinking if we have this thing, we can find comfort. If we live life this way, we have some sort of security. If we could attain this goal, then maybe things are safe and going well for us. And then when life gets hard or spiritual forces press in, things collapse and we find ourselves messy and alone and confused. And I look at God's Word, and time and time again, from from Genesis to Revelation, God is calling His people to put their faith, their trust, their hope in Him, God proves time and time again that He is their strong refuge. And so today what I want us to see, I want us to be honest with ourselves, what are the phony sources of refuge in your life? Where do you go to find comfort? Where do you go for shelter, for strength? What things have you constructed in your life to try to feel secure and established? Because all of those things are phony cardboard box forts. And they will collapse on you. And God is calling us to put our faith, our trust in Him. So Deuteronomy 19 teaches us something great about the character of God, teaches us something great about our nature and our need for rescue, and it teaches us something about how, how we can expect Jesus to come through on the promises of God. So that's where we're going today in Deuteronomy chapter 19. I want to say this again. I have to say this numerous times in the book of Deuteronomy, is there's a lot of prescriptive instruction to Israel from God that is prescriptive from for them, but it's not prescriptive for us. Meaning there are things that were specific from God to Israel because of that culture and that day that are not for us to follow today, but they are descriptive about the character of God and they point us to Jesus. And we're going to see some of that today because I want us to be very careful not to look at the sign and miss what the sign points to. You with me? I don't want to focus on, well, you know, Deuteronomy says to do this, and us miss Jesus in the process. Because there's a purpose for what God is telling Israel to do here that leads you and I to Jesus. Okay? You with me? Good. We're with you. Yes, we're all together. Let's go. Deuteronomy 19 starts by giving Israel instruction about cities of refuge. Right? Cities of refuge. A place for a manslayer to be safe. In verse three, you shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession so that any manslayer can flee to them. This is the provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past. Complicated verse. And if you and I were just to stop here and say, well, we should divide Augusta into three parts so that if anybody accidentally kills somebody, they will have a safe place to go. Old Town will be the manslayer neighborhood or something like that. That's not what Scripture is telling us. This is revealing something about the character of God and something about you and I today. In fact, chapter 19 is a a big chapter that talks about a lot of stuff. The first 13 verses here talk specifically about a city of refuge, cities of refuge for someone who unintentionally kills somebody. Right. A manslayer. So I want us to look at what God is teaching His people. He is revealing His heart as their provider and their protector. And this changes how God's people are to live. So first point I want us to see is this. God is our true refuge. God is our provider and protector. Verse 1 says this. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 2. You shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Verse 3. You shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession. The first three verses start by reminding Israel that the land they have is an act of God's grace to them. We see this time and time again in the Old Testament, time and time again in Deuteronomy. God was giving Israel land. It's a gift. A gift from him to them. They did not earn it. They did not achieve it by their own might. They did not Uh, earn it by their great religious culture, God gave them land as an act of grace, hands down. It's important for us to see that. God is telling Israel, I am your refuge and your strength because I am your provider. I've given you this land. This land is for you to possess. This land is what I am giving you to possess. In fact, this is constant with God's character. It's constant with the resounding storyline of the gospel is that we see in Genesis chapter 1 that God creates everything out of nothing. God creates everything out of nothing. There's nothing and all of a sudden God speaks and there's something. And God creates amazing galaxies and stars and planets he creates earth and puts land and water and fish and animals and birds and people god creates everything god owns everything in fact psalm 24 reminds us the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell within the earth belongs to god it's his land he can give it to whomever he pleases. And he can give it with stipulations. I love that scripture here is saying, hey look, God has given you land, Israel, and you were going to use it a certain way. Why? Because it's not your land that you've earned, it's God's land that he's given you to possess. And you're to use it accordingly. And I love how Psalm 24, hundreds of years later, the psalmist writes, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. All right, we've established that. The land belongs to God. The world and those who dwell therein. So so wait a second. Israel belonged to God and God gave them land. Those who were a manslayer, someone who accidentally killed somebody, also belongs to God. And you see here that God is providing for Israel as a nation, but God is also providing for the manslayer's safety. Verse four. This is the provision for the manslayer, who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally, without having hated him in the past, you see, this is such a perplexing story. Like we just see all this great epic battles and all this stuff, and then it pauses and say, "Look, God's given you land. You're going to use this land to possess, and you're going you're to possess this land. And you're going to set apart segments and cities for people who accidentally kill somebody to be safe." Now, there's a lot there we're going to unpack. Because God is wanting to show His people His grace. The grace to Israel who gets land by no action of their own, and the manslayer who gets a place of safety out of God's grace, even though they've made a terrible mistake. Psalm eighteen two says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock and whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So friends, what I want us to see first and foremost is that God is a refuge for his people. He is their provider. He is their protector. It has nothing to do with their uh, earning it or their action. In fact, you see here that Israel was full of idolatry and rebellion and disbelief and doubt and as a nation, they struggle with that for decades and decades and decades, and God still provided land for them. And then you get somebody who accidentally kills somebody else, gets that same grace, that same forgiveness, that same provision, that same protection. And that is because God is a good God who provides refuge for his people. But secondly, I want us to see this. Because this is where the rubber starts to hit the road. Because you're probably thinking, we hear this every week. I hope you hear it every week. Is that God is good, God is gracious, God is our refuge, God is our strength, God is our provider, God is our protector. I want you to hear that every week, every week. But don't tune out because some rubber hits the road for you and I here, just like it does for Israel. I mean, God's not telling us to set apart cities of refuge. But there's something we gather here about God and about how we are to live in Christ. Hang with me. Look at verse 7. Therefore, I command you, you shall set apart three cities. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has sworn to your fathers and gives you all the land that he promised to give to your fathers, provided that you are careful to keep his commandment, which I command you today by loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways, then you shall add three other cities to these three lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance, so that the guilt of the bloodshed may be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies and flees into one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send him and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him. But you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. This is where it gets a little complicated. A little more complicated. Verse 7 starts by saying look, you're going to set apart different cities, you're going to set apart three more cities. Right? If the Lord your God enlarges your territory, and he's given you some that you're to use this way. If he gives you more, you're to use it this way. You were to com- you obey the commandments of the Lord. You were to love the Lord your God. You were to walk in his ways. And then we see in verse 14, he continues. Kind of switches gears, but not really. Verse 14 You shall not move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set. And make an inheritance for you if you hold the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. So I was looking at this this week thinking, that's just such a change of pace. Like Moses is saying, hey, look, God's given you land. We want you to set apart a place of refuge for people who have accidentally killed somebody. I mean, we want them to see grace. We want them to see forgiveness. We want them to have a safe place so that they don't get killed in an act of revenge. And by the way, don't move your neighbor's landmark. And I was reading this week, like, what, what, what is this talking about? Like, what, what is Moses trying to tell Israel? What is God trying to tell us through this? And I saw here that God is reiterating, since He is the provider and protector of His people, God's people are to respect the property that God has set in place. And then we see the big gear shift happen. In verse 15, everything kind of shifts gears, right? So we have... God has land; He gives it to Israel. God is taking care of Israel because they are His people. He's a gracious God. God is taking care of the manslayer who accidentally kills somebody because God is a gracious God. And Moses reminds them, "Hey, look, respect the property that God has here." We get to verse 15. There are laws put in place about crime and witnesses to crime and what where's justice here. And this is where I see this pointing to Jesus. Because if God is demonstrating that he owns the whole earth and the land is his, he can give it to whoever he pleases with stipulations on how it should be used. And if all the people on the earth belong to God and God says, I want to show grace to Israel, Israel, I want you to show grace to these people here. I want you to show grace to those who have done wrong accidentally. But then we get to verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, sorry, verse 16 says, If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests. And the judges who are in office in those days, the judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. So the weight of chapter 19 was on my brain all week. And I'm thinking, so God is being gracious to give land to take care of Israel. God is being gracious to designate some of this land for people who have accidentally killed somebody so that they may have a place of refuge and not get killed or have uh, revenge acted upon them. And then God is saying, hey, look, there are respect the property of your neighbors. Don't defraud anybody. And if somebody does, you can have uh, witnesses come together and, and, and plead their case. But if somebody in there is maliciously after somebody else, there is a very swift act of justice. It says, do to that person as they would want to do to the person they were accusing. Now, this... This stuck on my mind this week because I don't know if you have ever been in a scenario where somebody has accused you of something and sought harm for you and they had done so maliciously. Has that ever happened to you? It may have been something like when you were younger, middle school or high school. It may have been something in the workplace. It may have been something in your neighborhood or in your own family. And I was thinking this week of how that affected me. That's happened to me a few times in my life. And this is what I think God wants us to see in Deuteronomy 19. The laws and instruction and commandments of God not only expose God's, not only reveal God's goodness and grace to his people, it reveals the condition of our human hearts. Do you get that from this? Because I was thinking this week, I'm like, how am I going to teach this? Like, I could get up here and give you a history lecture about cities of refuge, but I think we would walk away maybe having more knowledge, but no encounter with the gospel, like no challenge in our heart. And I think what God is showing us through this story is that We often don't see God as provider and protector. We often don't look to God as the source of our refuge and strength. And when we fail to do that, we take matters into our own hands and start building little cardboard forts to find our safety and refuge in. And often that involves tearing down other people. That involves verse fourteen moving your neighbor 's landmark that, inver- that, that involves pushing them out of the way so you can get more that involves accusing people of wrongdoing so that you can kind of get in and step up. Has that ever happened to you in the workplace? Has somebody ever gone behind your back to the boss and told a lie or something so they could get a promotion and you not get the promotion? Has it ever happened to you? Have you been the one to maybe underhandedly or under your breath say a remark to tear somebody down so that you could maybe uh, move up in position in a relationship of friends maybe it's the workplace maybe it's at school maybe it's just in your neighborhood or family have you ever done that because I'm hoping none of us have ever violently wounded somebody but I think the heart of the issues here are what's common to you and I today We may not be physically moving landmarks from our neighbor's privacy fence so that you can get five more feet of property. But I guarantee you all of us at one point in time are faced with the challenge of wanting to do something so we could get ahead and put the other the competition out of the way. Is that just me? I I probably maybe shouldn't say what I'm about to say, but I'll just say it anyway. I'm a little late in the game, about eight years late in the game. But I was watching an episode of a show called Mad Men. Have you heard of it? I was watching an episode of Mad Men the other day. And if you're familiar with the show, you know it's about uh, some advertising execs a few decades back. The whole show is nothing but smoking and scotch and angry people trying to get ahead. And I was watching these two guys... Uh, there's this banter of these two... There's one guy in particular. I, just, I don't feel like this is working, but I'm just going to go say it anyway. You guys probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But Basically, it's two... <clears throat> there's a guy, last name of Campbell, in the show. And he's a little worm of a guy who's just trying to get ahead. And there's a a scene that we watched where he gets some dirt, some information on Don Draper, who's the main character of the show, some stuff about his past, different name, whatever, spoiler alert. And so he brings it to the boss to to, to try to get Don Draper out of the way so he can get ahead. It's a really cool episode. Just watch it or don't. But I was thinking that's very common in our day and age today. And some of you are thinking, man, that's happened to me at work. Others of you have said that's never happened to me at work, but I guarantee you at some point in your life, in your heart, you were going to be tempted to do something to get ahead of somebody else, whether it be in the workplace or in the school or a position, even in a church or a ministry. I've seen it happen. I've experienced it. It's a condition of the human heart. You and I maybe do not have cities of refuge to deal with. We maybe do not have this law of Israel to deal with, but we are human beings who are tempted in the same way that they are. I want us to see how this points us to Jesus, because that's hopefully where triggers will go off and we'll all run out of here worshiping and loving our neighbors, right? That's what I want us to do. Look at verse 21. I to just recap. God is giving lands because He's a gracious God. He's taking care of people who are undeserving because He's a gracious God. He's giving them laws to abide by, to protect His people, but also to expose the wickedness in their human hearts who want to be tempted to take more land that's not given to them by God, to get ahead of re- relationally before people by telling lies because they're taking matters into their own hands rather than trusting God. And you get to the end of the chapter in verse 21. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Can I get an amen? Let me tell you, that's where my heart goes sometimes. When somebody's like, hey, I'm going to do this to you and I'm going to lie and cheat and steal and whatever, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, well watch this. I'm going to get all Richmond County on you. I mean, I went to Davidson, but it was still Richmond County. Watch out. I will get over there and play the cello so loud in your face. But you know something about that verse? God's people hung on to that verse for generations. They said, we want to do right by the law. We want to do right. We are going to do right by the law. If somebody does that, we are going to do eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Why? Because that is right. Right. That is what the law says. If somebody lies, we will punish them. If somebody does some criminal thing, we will go after them. If somebody does something wicked, we will purge that evil from our midst. Forgetting the own evil in their heart, in their minds, in their eyes, their temptations. But here is my favorite part. I was running this week in the rain, thinking about cardboard forts, thinking, God, tell me something about this, how this applies to my life. And then, you know, a few hundred years later, Jesus sets foot on the scene in Israel. Occupied by the by the Roman Empire, much corruption God's people are saying, We we want, we need God as our refuge because Rome has taken over, they're taxing the mess out of us. The religious system was jacked up at the time. There were religious men who were corrupt, but there were also religious men who didn't even know they were corrupt. They were trying to do the law. They say, we know the law of Moses. We want to do what's right. They knew Deuteronomy 19. They said, we know this stuff about land. We know this stuff about people. We know this stuff about law. We want to do what is right. We want to do life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when when Jesus was uh, doing his ministry, how guys wanted to come and stone an adulterous woman because that's what the law said to do. That's what's right. And Jesus sets foot, sets foot in the way and says, no, 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 if you have no sin, you cast the first stone. And everybody walks away because everybody has sin and nobody could dare be the judge and put themselves in the way of God. Only Jesus could. And Jesus said, hey, I don't condemn you. Now go sin no more. In the same way, before that incident, Jesus quotes this verse. Huh? If Jesus quotes something from the Old Testament, we should have just gone there first, Right? We should go there first before we think about, well, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Can't wait to go to the office tomorrow and kick some tail. Right? Jesus in Matthew 5. Sermon on the Mount. Some of the most beautiful verses of the New Testament, man. Just read them slowly and soak them in. Let them get into your soul and you will weep. So good. Jesus, as he's preaching on the sermon, is preaching the sermon to uh, people. He says, "This you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth." He's like he's like throwing back to Deuteronomy, like he does. He's like, "Hey, by the way, Old Testament. It's important. It's God's word. It's there's so much there, but it's a sign to point you to something. So let's look at the sign, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and see what it points to. This is what it points to. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I say to you." Do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. If anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Can you imagine what would happen as Christians if people were like insulting you and after your harm you were to seek their good can you imagine what would happen if you go to the office tomorrow and the dude that's like talking to the boss behind your back trying to shoot you down so he can get ahead if you could just like take that guy out to lunch see in my heart I know that I would want to you know punch the guy that's not what Jesus says to do Here's why. The point of the law is to expose something about our hearts. Can you imagine being in Israel as Moses who has led you through God's power, from bondage into a a land of promise, leading you to that place that God has promised for His people. And He's like teaching you, giving you all this instruction with the authority of God, like speaking on behalf of God as His prophet. And He's like telling you all this stuff. Can you imagine being there, right? And and hearing all this law and instruction and and getting to that line. A life for life, an eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. I mean, I imagine if there was some legal dispute in your heart, there could be a lot of fear, right? I would think, like, oh, man, I've messed up. Uh, Everybody's going to freaking get me now. Um, Or imagine the shoe on the other foot where you're like, yeah, I'm right. I'm going to take that dude down. He shouldn't have stepped to me. So much pride. See, that's what the law does. The law exposes the fear in our heart, exposes the pride in our heart. But the law is there to point us to something greater, to point us to the gospel. The Old Testament is to point us to Jesus. So where Moses says, hey, you shall not pity. It's a life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot to foot. Jesus quotes that and says, hey, you've heard it said that way. And Jesus by no means negates the law. He says, "Hey, I mean, he says numerous times, 'Hey, I'm, I'm fulfilling the law. All of the Old Testament and prophets they point to me.'" So Jesus by no means negates this statement of the law of Moses, but rather he shows what the point of it is, and that is to show us that we need refuge in God. If you find your refuge, your security, your strength, your hope in the Lord, it's not going to be that hard for you to lend to somebody who you know is never going to return whatever you're lending them. Because it's, it's not your thing anyway, it's God's, and you're just stewarding it, right? If you know that God is the source of your strength and your refuge, not your finances, you're going to be generous even if somebody says, hey, I'll pay you back, and they don't. I'm learning this lesson right now in a major way. Personally, there's a financial situation that's been stressing me out, and I'm like, I told my wife, I was like, great, of course God would want me to learn this passage this week when somebody's ripping me off. But I had a good conversation with the person. And we're on the up and up. And we're learning grace together. And we're learning, I'm learning in my heart there's fear and pride and there's idols of security and finances rather than the Lord. That's just a personal aside. So what's it for you? I mean, if the law exposes our human hearts, and where do you find your refuge? Because what happens is, if you find your refuge in finances, the moment somebody rips you off, you're going to say, "Hey, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, huh? You pay me back exactly what you owe me, and you pay me now." If you find your security in your status, the second somebody uh, insults you and you feel like your status is threatened, you're like, "Oh heck no! I read what you wrote on Facebook. Let's go, right?" Or if somebody insults you at work or in school or in your family, you get all bent out of shape forgetting that, hey, if your refuge is in God, if He's the source of your strength and your provision and your protection, man, bring on the insults, man. If they're lies, whatever, turn the other cheek. Insult me. I belong to the Lord, man. You're insulting Him if you're insulting this piece of work. Jesus shows us that the law exposes the human heart, but He points us to the gospel. So we get to Jesus in the first century. He's quoting the stuff from Deuteronomy. And here's what you have to remember. Anytime Jesus quotes one sentence from the Old Testament, for a first century Jew, it would bring back that whole section of scripture. Does that make sense? It's like it's not just that one sentence, but and the whole context would be recalled for a first century Jewish person. It's like if I say row 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 your boat, Right now, you're thinking gently down the stream, merrily, merrily, merrily. I don't have to say it. Your brain just goes there because of the context. In the same way, Jesus says, hey, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth a first century jewish listener listening to jesus preach would recall deuteronomy 19 like the whole chapter and deuteronomy 20 they would get the whole context about what god had told his people to do through moses he would get the whole context that this whole eye for an eye stuff is about finding your refuge in god the god of the of the source of your strength your provider your protector the god who is gracious to the manslayer the god who is gracious to israel who's undeserving the god who says hey i own everything I I give it as i please the god who says look the earth is mine so are the people in it take care of those people they're not your people to step on they're not your people to push out of your way so you can get ahead they are my people that you were to take care of that you were to show grace so when somebody comes to you don't say eye to eye tooth for tooth you say hey no no if somebody even if they have ill intent i mean obviously we're not going to turn a blind eye to like blatant wickedness but we are to in that moment pause And remember that there is a God who loves you far more than you love yourself. There's a God who loves that broken person across from you far more than you could ever love them. But you're probably not right now because they're out to get you. There's a God who owns everything that you think you own, but you're really just stewarding it. And so when I read Matthew 5 and listen to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount, I am humbled thinking, man, I operate in fear and pride more than I operate in the grace of the gospel. When somebody owes me money, I panic thinking, man, if they don't pay me, I can't, I can't pay this bill on time or I can't get the dental work for my children or I can't whatever. Operate in fear or operate in pride thinking, man, pff, they owe me. It's the most prideful thing you could ever say. That's just one of the small lessons I'm learning this week. If you want more, Take me to lunch this week, and I'll tell you more. But I want you to think about what is God teaching you right now? What are the idols in your heart, the places you find refuge rather than God, And how does that shape you to want to exact the law? Because let me tell you the thing I love about Jesus is He's telling us not just to do what is right, but to do what is good. There's a difference. Some of us are concerned with doing what is right, that we don't even do what is good. We want to do what's right. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's right. Jesus says, don't just do what is right. Do what is good. If somebody needs something, don't do what's right and say, well, you can have it for this low fee and return it tomorrow at two. But just say, man, you need it. I'll just give it to you. Don't stop at doing right. Strive at doing good, friends. That's what the gospel teaches us. Another thing I'll say in conclusion, it's been kind of all over the map, but just let's hang on to this. The gospel shows us as that as recipients of grace we are to cultivate environments of grace for those who are undeserving. Because chapter nineteen begins with that. Like, hey, you've been a recipient of grace, Israel. I'm giving you this land. Now, go set up places for those who are undeserving to go find refuge. In so doing, they will look to God as their refuge. That's what Israel was to do. And that's where Jesus takes it to that conclusion. I'm having a hard time talking today. I'm so sorry. That's where Jesus takes it in verse 21. Verse 21. When Moses says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, hand for hand, foot for foot. When Jesus quotes that, that's, he's bringing it to that conclusion that just like God says provide places of refuge for the manslayer. When Jesus quotes that in Matthew 5 and says, hey, look, somebody who uh, slaps you, turn the other cheek. If somebody sues you, give them what you have. If anybody wants you to go a mile, go extra mile. If anyone begs, give to them. He's saying, go, the, the, take it. From right to good, cultivate an environment of grace for those who are undeserving so that they may see the God of grace. That's the point. Are you with me? Does that one point make sense? If that one point makes sense, we're good. I want to ask you this question, two questions. Number one, what are the phony sources of refuge in your life? The idols, the things that prompt fear and pride, because those things disconnect your relationship with God and affect your relationship to other people, to where you would way too quickly say eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Where are your phony refuges, refuge Where are your phony sources of refuge in your life? Secondly, in light of the gospel, in light of the good work of Jesus, who says, Don't do what's right only, but go and do what's good. You're a recipient of grace. Go cultivate environments of grace. My second question for you is, how are you cultivating an environment of grace for undeserving people in your life? It's a big one. In your family, how are you cultivating an environment of grace for that relative that is just cantankerous? For that relative who is, you know, just annoying, who that relative who doesn't love Jesus and they let everybody know it constantly. How are you cultivating an environment of grace in your home for that family member? How are you cultivating an environment of grace for that neighbor who, man, is just so hard to be a neighbor with? How are you cultivating an environment of grace with that fellow student who wants to cheat off of you and whatever? How are you cultivating an environment of grace? in your neighborhood, in your workplace, right? How are you cultivating an environment of grace? Because the point of Deuteronomy 19 is to show us that God is a gracious God, a provider, a protector, providing refuge for the undeserving, and that His laws expose that our hearts are not that. We have no interest in finding providing refuge for people. But that's why we need a Savior, namely Jesus, who says, Hey, you can't do this, but I can. You should have done this, you didn't, but I did. Therefore, live differently now. Don't just stop at doing what's right, but go further to do what is good. You are a recipient of grace. Now go steward grace and cultivate environments of grace for those who are undeserving. You are undeserving. Here's God's grace. They're undeserving. Go take that grace to them. You with me? Sounds good. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. God, we are certainly undeserving people. All of us. God, we are undeserving because we doubt and disbelieve your word. We are disobedient and sinful, idolatrous people. God, we operate in fear, doubting, distrusting who you are and what you've done. But God also... We are broken people because we far too often operate in pride and want to take one verse, like eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and just run that into the ground as we go to work or go to our neighborhoods and we think we we find our security, our refuge in doing what is right rather than doing what is good. Failing to see that your law is a sign that exposes our broken human hearts and need for a Savior, that your law reveals your good character that uh, we are so undeserving to know, but by your grace through Christ we can and we do. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we look at hard texts like in Deuteronomy and as we seek to find Christ, uh, Lord, that you would open our minds to understand and our hearts to receive the gospel, that by your Holy Spirit you would shape us to be more like your Son, Jesus. God, that you would humble us in our pride, that you would rescue us from our fear and our brokenness. God, that we would um, look outside of ourselves, look beyond ourselves look at the world around us. God, recognizing that everything on the earth belongs to you, everyone on the earth belongs to you. And so, Lord, I pray that we, as recipients of your grace, would be stewards of grace. God, that you would give us um, ideas, humble, yet creative, yet strong, and gospel-centric and biblical, Christ-pointing toward ideas to cultivate grace-filled environments for those around us, Lord, for those who are non-believers, God, those who maybe even are hostile to the gospel. Lord, that you would give us boldness to step into their world and reclaim it for christ god that you would give us courage and and kindness and humility to invite them into our homes invite them into uh our our world uh, lord uh, because it's yours they're yours and we want them to uh, know you and so god i just pray that you do amazing things in us and through us for your glory and for our joy and that the gospel of jesus would advance we ask in his holy name amen